Hello and welcome to Will Will We we Make make It Out Alive? I'm Amy, the Poop Detective. And I'm Jen, the Magical Mapper. This is season two, episode three. If you were a fruit, you'd be a fine apple. Who comes up with (laughs) these titles? Oh my. I have no idea. Hmm. Only guess we'll never know. Nope. Well, season two is all about food sovereignty and food security in the urban environment. If you missed the previous two episodes in this season, we recommend that you go back and listen before continuing on with this, the third episode of season two. Or if you want to be crazy, you could listen to this episode and then go back and listen to those episodes, but you might get a little bit of context for some of the stuff we're talking about today. Previous episodes include an overview of food systems, as well as a fantastic interview with Liam McNamara from the Tacoma Emergency Food Network. You really want to probably go back and listen to that one for sure. We have two more episodes this season, which are released every other week. In the next episode, we'll be discussing community gardening with the Urban Farm Collective, followed by the last episode of the season about how to use GIS to garden more efficiently at Hilltop Urban Gardens. Mm. All of these organizations are working to help ensure that communities, especially underserved communities, have access to fresh, healthy local food. In this episode, we will learn more about gleaning. Don't worry, we'll define that in a bit. Seattle's historic fruit trees and orchards and what trees drink. Hmm. Amy? Did I tell you that I just got in a fight with a fireman? No. They keep harvesting my cat tree. What the heck? I know. So rude. Rude. And with that, let's jump right into our interview. We did record this episode in May of 2021, so some of the information is a bit out of date. We'll have updates at the end of the episode. Today we would like to welcome Tiari Gill and Jordan Egbert with City Fruit. Thank you so much for joining us. We gleaned a little more information about them from the City Fruit website, and we're even more excited to interview them after we did, because they both mention either food sovereignty or food security in their About Them sections, which is kind of what this whole season's about, so that's really cool. Mm -hmm. Tiari is from the island of Oahu and has spent time in Washington over the past six years. She graduated from the University of Puget Sound in Tacoma with a bachelor's degree in biology and environmental policy and decision-making. Post-graduation, she was an educator and volunteer mentor with the Slater Museum of Natural History, and she currently works for City Fruit as the Community Growth and Impact Manager. In addition, she is also enrolled as a master's student in the Urban Environmental Education Program at Antioch University in Seattle. She believes that food is not only a vital component of individual identity, but also community identity, and hopes to be able to contribute to food sovereignty efforts in the community. Welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Jordan is from both Leavenworth and Seattle. She received a Bachelor of Arts in Environmental Studies from Western Washington University and is pursuing a certificate in fundraising management from the University of Washington. She became interested in working with organizations dedicated to addressing food insecurity and reducing food waste while working for the Gleaning Program at Upper Valley Mend in Leavenworth, and she is currently working with City Fruit as a development and fundraising specialist. 
And Jordan believes access to healthy food is a human right and should be available to every member of our community. Tiari, can you tell us a little bit more about what the Community Growth and Impact Manager is and what you do for City Fruit? I do a lot of work with the volunteer coordination for the organization. City Fruit does a lot of work with maintenance of the public orchards in the city of Seattle. And because our organization relies so heavily on volunteers, we have to coordinate a lot with like creating volunteer work parties, making sure that volunteers feel supported in the work that they're doing. So a lot of my role is engaging with volunteers to make sure that they feel supported to do these roles with us also to kind of field what their interests are and to be able to connect them to other organizations in the city that are doing work that they might be interested in. But also, too, I do a little bit of work with education programming. Most recently, we've been working with an organization in the High Point community. It's called Neighborhood House, and so I've been doing a little bit of education curricula development with them. And that's more than just food systems education. It has to do with STEM education in general. So cool. Lots of lots of different hats. And do you work full time for City Fruit? I found my way to City Fruit actually as a practicum for my graduate program. I'm less than half time. I gotcha. (laughs) But touch a lot of places in the organization because we are so small. Awesome. That's great. And Jordan, so what is a typical day in the leaf at City Fruit (laughs) look like for you? So my position is really focused on three key pieces for City Fruit, so individual giving, grant writing, and social media management. So I try to adjust my week based on the needs. So if I have a grant deadline coming up, the bulk of the week we focused on that, but always managing individual giving and keeping up with social media. Cool. That's definitely a full-time job there. (laughs) Yes. Do you work full-time? I work full-time, and with AmeriCorps, it's a one-year contract. Okay. What is City Fruit and what do they do? City Fruit's mission is to put Seattle's urban orchard to its best and fullest use so everyone in our community shares in the value of fruit. So what this looks like is that City Fruit harvests fruit from public orchards in Seattle along with private trees. And so these might be trees that are located inside of like organizations, lands, or homeowners, residents. Mm -hmm. Each year, City Fruit, I was actually able to harvest roughly 45 to 50,000 pounds which is pretty incredible. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, and so when you think of Seattle, right, we are the Emerald City, but oftentimes people think of the cityscape. But really, I mean, within that cityscape, there's all of these little nestled trees and pockets of green spaces, and they're super productive spaces for growing. And so with that harvest, we try and distribute to food banks and meal programs within about five miles of where it's harvested, just to keep that local food in the area in which it's grown. We try and go by the idea that hyper-local produce should be made available to the communities in which it was grown. So we also host 16 fruit-for-all free fruit pop-up stands throughout Seattle in federally designated food deserts throughout the city. This is throughout the summer and fall that we have these scheduled. So anyone can just walk up and have some of the fresh local fruit that we've harvested. In addition to that, we also provide fruit tree care all year round. So we offer services such as mulching, pruning, and pest management. City of Fruit's big mission is to really increase the sustainability of Seattle's fruit trees. So by protecting the health and quality of the fruit trees, we can ensure that they have the ability to produce quality fruit each season. We really try to go full cycle through harvest and then tree care as well. Very cool. So gleaning is defined as to collect gradually and bit by bit. 
But in the city fruit context, what does gleaning mean? Gleaning is the act of harvesting excess quality produce that will otherwise go to waste and then distributing it directly with the community. So this often happens when farmers or orchardists have an abundance of produce and can't sell or harvest it, or when property owners have fruit trees that produce more fruit than they need. And kind of getting into that idea, what happens to the food if it isn't gleaned? And what are the impacts of that? Wasted food, if it's not harvested, it means that that food is not making it to community members that might need it most that are experiencing food insecurity. So I think that's first and foremost. But also if we're wasting food, not harvesting what we could from urban orchards, urban agricultural spaces, it also means that you then have to import more food into cities. And depending on where that food is coming from, it could be coming from a different state. We import also from places like Mexico, which is out of the country. And so when you think about that, all of the emissions that come with growing, harvesting, processing, and packaging food, that adds up. Also, too, with our local food systems, when you are able to harvest things locally, you can kind of control what happens during that process. And oftentimes in our food system, we rely on labor that is often not very well compensated. It's not fairly regulated. And so Mm -hmm. there is a really great benefit in being able to have local food systems that are fair to people as well and that make that process more equitable. Right. You know, a lot of our focus has been more on the end result of who's getting the food and how they're getting the food Mm -hmm. into the communities. But thinking also about exactly that, that we have workers that are also harvesting this food for us that are not being treated well that have been at the bottom of things through this whole COVID process where they've been treated even worse than normal and being able to control a little bit of that closer to home alleviates some of that pressure that we have on those individuals. Mm-hmm. Why are gleaning groups important? Gleaning groups are super important because it's a way to get the community involved at the local level and with the local food system and preventing the mass amounts of food waste that do happen at the local level, which we often don't really think about. And especially with private fruit trees, many people don't even see the fruit that's falling off these trees as waste. And so mm-hmm. gleaning groups really highlight the huge need in our communities to acknowledge what food is going to waste and who has access to these fruit trees and who does not and really redistributing food within our communities. And they also resist the dominant U.S. food system, which tells us that food needs to be brought from certain places and certain sources Mm. and that we don't need it to come from the grocery store. We can actually redistribute it throughout our communities. Yeah. So one of the things that was mentioned a little while ago now was about public trees and private trees and Seattle's public orchard. Can you tell us a little bit more about the public trees? What kind of public lands are these fruit trees on and were they planted on purpose? It's really interesting to think about the origin of the orchards in Seattle. Sometimes people just don't know that we have such an abundance of um, urban fruit trees. I don't want to put a blanket statement over all of the orchards, of course, but a lot of them have been pretty long-standing in communities and are definitely very diverse in origin. And so we actually have a intern with the University of Washington who's been working on compiling some of these orchard histories in order to be able to actually share it with communities so that folks can have an understanding of where these orchards originally came from. There's an orchard called Holy Cross in Bellevue. And it was actually the site of an old farm before Bellevue converted from country farmland to city. And so it's a really interesting example because the orchard is on non-city-owned public green space. 
So it's actually cared for by the Holy Cross Church. So they're the ones who decided that this old orchard was important to keep. It was important to the community and that Mm -hmm. they felt it important to be able to provide the orchard space as a public green space that was accessible to the community. That's an example of, of one that isn't owned by the city. But there's also a wide array of properties that are owned by the city of Seattle. And so they're managed by the urban food systems. Another aspect, too, is the city of Seattle Department of Neighborhoods, community pea patches. And oftentimes in these pea patches, there are also fruit trees growing there. Mm -hmm. It's really a network or a tapestry. There's all of these different interweaving threads that build up this network. And so it's like the roots of a tree. Like the the roots (laughs) of a tree. Oh, boy. (laughs) And they communicate just like the roots of a tree do. And so it's really wonderful to see these groups are connected to one another. They know different folks that work with that orchard or they know someone that has Mm -hmm. experience with this training and so they're willing to connect you. Interesting. So on these public orchards, can anyone just go in there and pick fruit or are they more managed? With the public orchards that are owned by the city of Seattle, that's definitely a priority of theirs because it's on public land. They want community members to feel open to harvesting. Mm -hmm. I think that's always been a little bit of a tricky thing and I think is always something that they're striving for is just because it's on public land. Sometimes community members don't necessarily know that there are fruit trees in these spaces Or like, even if they do know. Yeah, like, can I eat that? Or was it sprayed with pesticide? I mean, is that for me? I feel bad (laughs) taking fruit if it's not intended for me, but. Well, and we've kind of all been trained, leave no trace, don't take things. That aren't yours. That ain't (laughs) your fruit. (laughs) But it might be. Or don't take things from public lands either. How does gleaning help increase food security and reduce food waste? Glean produce is distributed throughout the community to food banks and meal programs, and only quality produce is harvested. So this is just a very important thing to note because not all fruit is of the same quality. <laughs> right. With City Fruit, we specifically only donate the top tier, so never windfallen, never bruised fruit to food banks. Mm-hmm. If we have the capacity with a large enough harvest team at the time, we will distribute that bruised or undersized fruit. That'll go to cideries. Uh-huh. So we're really preventing waste and helping our local cideries mm-hmm. incorporate local fruit as well. And so gleaning increases the community's access to fresh and local produce, which is generally very expensive. And there's a real limit to who has access to this food. And so food banks often don't receive local produce and some don't even receive fresh produce. There's a lot of cost barriers for food banks to purchase food that is fresh and local. And so we're really helping to meet that need. Gleaning increases food security by distributing that local quality produce throughout the community, increasing access and reducing food waste at the same time. There's actually a really interesting study conducted in 2016 by Ample Harvest that looked at 2,500 gardeners throughout the country. And a lot of these gardeners were enrolled in master fruit tree steward programs and things like that. But there was also determined that 11.5 billion pounds of garden produce is wasted each year, which could feed 28 million people if it were donated to food banks. And that's just garden produce. So there's a huge amount of local produce that's going to waste each year that could be shared with the community. And it seems like especially with orchards, because you just typically get such a flush of fruit all at once. Right. 
Jen has been battling with a baking cherry in her yard since she moved into her house. There's several weeks during the year where she's just dealing in cherries and trying to figure out other ways to preserve them for eating them throughout the years because, well, they're not eating cherries for starts, but you just can't use them as fast as they're all available as a single person. They're tart cherries. And I didn't really know anything about gleaning, so if I would have, I would have had people come in and pick them. I just like, well, I'll just let the birds have these, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Make a mess in my yard. I have to clean up later on. How long has City Fruit been around? Since 2008. So that's when City Fruit's founder, Gail Savina, she organized a group and created a mission to utilize local fruit from Seattle's Urban Orchard. And then they secured a fiscal sponsorship with the Finney Neighborhood Association. So that's how they were able to get off the ground. And then in 2010, City Fruit was officially incorporated as a nonprofit. Very cool. I was a little bit surprised that there was staff at all, but you guys do have a growing (laughs) little staff there, it looks like. Yeah. It's a great thing to reduce food waste in our own local Mm -hmm. communities. What is the overall geographic area? Is it just Seattle proper or are you guys in King County or... Yeah, so we're, we're in the greater Seattle area. Typically, we've focused a little bit more on central, north, and south Seattle, especially working with resident fruit tree owners in expanding our fruit tree programs around pruning or help with harvesting access from those residents. We are now, as the organization is growing and budget willing, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> hoping to expand just because there's so many fruit trees that are out there. and Right. So many more residents and communities that we'd also like to touch. I really like the idea that you guys are trying to keep the food within five miles of where it's harvested. Mm-hmm. So obviously that becomes trickier, in a, I mean, easier and trickier in a way as you expand <laughs> your area, right? But also it seems like in some of the more suburban areas, depending on when they were developed, I suppose, but there might be a lot more fruit trees out there that are not being utilized. Does City Fruit operate year-round? Yes, we do. Our busiest time of the year is definitely the harvest season, Mm -hmm. which in Seattle is mid-July to late November, sometimes early December. But we also provide fruit tree care throughout the whole year. Mm -hmm. So that's generally in the wintertime, pruning, in the springtime, mulching, and pest management. And then summer and fall is harvest. So we're always operating year-round. What do trees drink? (laughs) Apple cider. Ooh, that's close. That's a good one. So close. Root beer. Oh. <laughs> How is City Fruit funded? You got you just started touching on this a little bit. We're funded by individual donations, grants, and then the funds that are generated from our tree care services. So we do charge for those services, but if there's someone in the community who needs those services, we do offer them for free as well. So, so is that like the pruning, mulching? Yeah, the pruning, pest management, mulching. Julian Garcia is our fruit tree care specialist, so he goes out to private property owners, and that's a really good way for us to promote our program as well as get some funding. So basically, individual private property owners pay in to receive some benefit for learning about how to take care of or even having their tree taken care of, but they pay some small fee for that. It's kind of an hourly fee. He'll plant trees. If someone says, I want to get this planted, he'll plant it for them. He'll prune the tree for them or provide that education piece as well. Very cool. How many staff and volunteers are involved in City Fruit? As Amy kind of mentioned earlier, we definitely have a very small and intimate staff. (laughs) (laughs) 
It makes staff meetings really fun. You don't have to scroll on Zoom. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's definitely a big operation focused with a small amount of hands. So we definitely do a lot with a little. We do heavily utilize both AmeriCorps interns and the University of Washington interns. Mm -hmm. But we do also, of course, then rely on our volunteers, especially around the harvest. Mm -hmm. So to give you some numbers, in 2019... We had around 617 volunteers that contributed a collective 1,385 hours of volunteer service. Wow. So they are really the stars of the show. We have volunteers that work with us in different capacities, but as Jordan and I have mentioned, the bread and butter of City Fruit is really around the harvest in that summertime period. And so that's a lot of where our volunteers are coming out is for those orchard work parties to help steward Mm -hmm. those trees. And this has, of course, looked a little bit different with 2020 with COVID and having to cancel some work parties when there was the stay-at-home order. But in general, we have been able to adapt to smaller-sized work parties and just trying to be flexible with communication with our volunteers to make sure that the things that we're offering as volunteer opportunities are within social distancing guidelines, that we're being transparent with how we're planning to keep everyone safe. I think we were maybe getting to this a little bit too, but what are City Fruit members? We found this mentioned on your website. So City Fruit members is anyone who donates $5 or more every month. That doesn't take much, but just that reoccurring membership really helps us plan our programs for the year and really understand what funding will look like for us for the year. So that's why that reoccurring donation is so amazing for us. But members receive a lot of really great benefits with City Fruit. This includes 10% to 15% off discounts at local cideries, plant nurseries, garden stores, just a wide array of benefits within Seattle that members can have. And then we also offer a limited number of members the option to reserve free fruit at our Fruit for All pop-up stands throughout the city. And then members also receive 10% off of our tree care services and 10% off of the Master Fruit Tree Stewards program that we run as well. So we definitely want to support our community and, and offer a lot of resources. Right. But then it also kind of gives you guys a better idea of an ongoing source of funding. Yes, definitely. And I'm sure, especially through the pandemic, that's (laughs) been a little bit different than it had been prior to that. Yeah. So if you had trees, for example, that you wanted to get into the program, you don't have to be a member to do that, right? No. So you can just register your tree and you don't have to be a donor. That's just a separate thing. But a lot of times they overlap, but it's, yeah, you can register your tree. Sure. So talking about registering a tree, how are trees or properties identified to be included in the program and what are the requirements? Are there any? A lot of our fruit tree registers, like for residents interested in registering their trees, actually comes through word of mouth and through advertising on our websites and different social media platforms. So in that sense, it really is a network that we're building as the organization grows and as more people hear about our programming. There is no requirements or commitments per se, but one thing is that when folks register their trees, we can't always promise that we will be able to harvest their trees every year. Mm -hmm. So that is one thing is that we like to have your fruit trees in the register just to show just how abundant these resources are. But just again, for the scale of our organization and that oftentimes there's one staff person that's managing a lot of the harvest. Sometimes it's not feasible to get every single tree. Mm -hmm. And so that's where communication between the organization and registered tree owners is really important to be able to outline where the year is looking and which neighborhoods we're going to be harvesting at which times to make sure that whenever possible, we are able to get to trees. To be so there's no that year. type of tree requirement or anything other than it produces fruit. 
the example of my tree, I mean, I don't live in Seattle, but if I wanted to register my tart cherry tree, is that something that would be registered or because they're tart cherries and people typically don't just eat them fresh off the tree, but rather make pies or jam or something? Is that still something that would be included in the program? Yeah, we would definitely have your tree registered in the system. And then depending on our capacity that Mm -hmm. season, because we definitely want to really meet the demands of the clients that we're supporting. So if we know that there's a demand within the community for a certain type of fruit that might not be enjoyed, Mm -hmm. just eaten raw or just eaten straight, then we'd be more likely to harvest that fruit. We just want to make sure since we're such a limited staff, utilizing our time to the fullest, but There's a lot of potential for growth in our program where we'd love one day to be able to process fruit into fruit-centered foods like baked goods and jams Mm -hmm. and jelly. So if we can get the budget and ramp up for that, then we'd be able to harvest those tart cherries and turn them into something else to then give to the food banks. Right, right, yeah. That would be really cool. (laughs) You guys should definitely do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just looking for the funding. So it sounds like there's not much of a commitment necessarily that needs to be made from the property owners. They, I assume, probably have to allow access to the tree. Yeah. So we do have a system right now where registered tree owners, as it approaches to harvest season, our fruit tree specialist or our harvest manager will send out basically like a form that says, yes, it is okay. I give city fruit permission to harvest from my tree. That definitely needs to happen before the harvest. I think that's the one thing where it's, if that's not turned in, then it's... Then it, there's like legality <laughs> questions yeah. that start to come up. Right. And that's, yeah. that's sent out every year. Mm-hmm. Right now it's every year we ask for an updated form. We have been discussing as an organization of what this might look like, just because we've had some staff changes and wanting to rethink the programs again to mm-hmm. make sure that they're as streamlined as possible and as easy for residents to access as mm-hmm. well. So that may be something that ends up getting changed. But for now, that that is something that we do have. I mean, and somebody could sell their house and then the new owners don't know about it or something, too. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah, it might be kind of low on your list of things like I need to do this before I move. (laughs) Right. (laughs) What kinds of things does City Fruit harvest? Are there any interesting fruits out there that are grown that people might not know about? As as you mentioned in my bio, I'm not originally from Washington, Mm -hmm. so it's been super fun for me to get to know what kinds of fruits grow in this area. Mm -hmm. I'm used to seeing like lychee and mango, and so I'm the first time I saw apples growing on a tree, I was like, oh, that's super cool. <laughs> wow. um, yeah. We have a few of those over mm, here. Uh, yeah, just a few. <laughs> but definitely a wide variety. Absolutely, apples are mm-hmm. the huge one. There's so many different varieties of apples. If you have a chance, one orchard that I would recommend folks visiting in Seattle is Piper's Orchard. It's located in Carkeek Park, but they've got a ton of different varieties of heirloom apples. And so those are really fun because they've got different flavors and different looks. But besides apples, there's also pears that we harvest, both European varieties and then Asian pears. There's different kinds of persimmons. There's also quince, plums, figs. There's grapes as well. And then what a lot of folks don't know grow here are actually kiwis. So kiwi vines also harvest those. (laughs) Cool. And who does the harvesting? Probably just you guys, I'm guessing. (laughs) So uh, that's led by our fruit tree specialist, who's also the harvest manager, Julian. So he leads volunteer groups and he also oversees our two AmeriCorps VISTAs, which are summer associates. And so they'll be here with us the end of June until the end of August. And then we also have an intern from UW. And so 
that'll be the core team. And we have another assistant harvest manager supporting our harvest season as well. Only our staff goes into the private properties. Generally, that's the case, just so we don't have Mm -hmm. large groups in backyards. So it's at the public orchards where we'll have those large volunteer events. That is totally different than I had imagined (laughs) it. I actually imagined that you would have volunteers, I guess, at some time, maybe even volunteers from the property going onto their own property. But then maybe they would just harvest the fruit if they were doing that, I guess. (laughs) But yeah, that's very interesting. I mean, I'm sure it limits liability by not allowing a bunch of volunteers to go in on properties, but seems like you could have a lot more people helping out if you were able to do that. We do have a program called the Neighborhood Ambassador Program, and it is a section of our harvest team. And so with that, we actually recruit directly from the community, and then those actually go through our harvest training, and they communicate directly with the person in charge. So in that case, that would be me, who I then coordinate with Julian, who's our harvest manager, to Mm -hmm. figure out which trees need to be harvested in which neighborhoods. The really cool thing with that is the neighborhood ambassadors can represent a neighborhood in Seattle. So if someone lives in Ballard, then they can become the neighborhood ambassador for the Ballard area, and they can harvest the trees that folks register with us. And so in that sense, it is kind of like spreading. Right. You get a little Mm -hmm. bit of volunteer assistance, plus you get kind of an into the neighborhood then with somebody that lives there. Can you tell us just a little bit about the history of the Seattle orchards and how City Fruit kind of got involved? It sounds like that's kind of how City Fruit started was with this work with the Seattle orchards. From my understanding, a lot of them are the remnant pockets of a lot of farmland before it was urbanized. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, there's an orchard that's called the Amy Yee Tennis Orchard. And the orchard itself is spread out throughout the tennis court property. I think when people picture an orchard in their head, they think of a group of 50 trees. You know, maybe not that many, but a group of clustered trees. And that's exactly what Piper's is. And it's one of the oldest orchards in Seattle. But the Amy Yee Tennis Court Orchard or the orchard along the Burt Gilman bike path, those are very dispersed orchards where there's a tree maybe every 5, 10 feet, sometimes even longer. It'll be right. like 100 feet until you have your next tree. And so in those instances, like with the Burt Gilman, their communities deciding that they want to use these parcels or these green spaces to see if they can grow fruit. Sometimes it's the city that decides that they want to use these spaces as growing areas as well. So they do kind of come from different histories. Yeah, histories. histories. Yeah. yeah, and just being adapted to the different spaces in which we have in the city too, right? Because the, right. the city landscape is so varied. Yeah, no, when talking about the orchard conversation, when Jen and I were first talking about this, she kept saying orchard and I was I was picturing exactly what you're <laughs> talking about, you know, like 20 trees all in rows and a little orchard. And the context she kept using it seemed more like just fruit trees in people's yards. And I'm like, <laughs> I think we're talking about the same because we were arguing, discussing I mean. <laughs> We were arguing about it. And I was like, I think we're actually saying the same thing. I just have this image in my mind, probably incorrect, of what it is. And you're just talking about fruit trees, in like in my mind. <laughs> 
I think another really interesting piece to kind of touch on like the GIS mapping a Mm -hmm. little bit for our project. So City Fruit was interested in doing a mapping of all of the urban fruit trees that aren't necessarily in public green spaces. So those that are on city sidewalks or in people's homes. And actually the city of Seattle, they've actually done a little bit of this mapping themselves, which is really interesting. But one thing that's really interesting about the fruit trees that are in people's homes is that oftentimes they were planted by immigrants to the city. So when Seattle was still Mm -hmm. being created, really, Mm -hmm. people would bring fruit trees, they'd bring vegetables, they'd bring seeds that were representative of their home cultures, right? Growing the things that connect you back to the places in which you're from and that are culturally relevant because that's extremely important to people's identities is growing and eating foods that connect you to your heritage. Mm -hmm. And so in some places in the city, it's actually really interesting. You can find collections of... Asian pears, you can find collections of Italian plums, and it shows you where people were settling when they were first coming here. That's fascinating. Yeah, it really is. I'm a geographer, so it's really fascinating. (laughs) (laughs) So it sounds like you guys are both involved in gleaning, at least at times. What are some of your favorite or least favorite parts about gleaning? What is it like, actually? Are you trained in how to identify the good fruit from the bad fruit? Or does that sorting happen somewhere else? Or yeah, just tell us a little bit more about what does it actually look like? It depends a bit on the organization. So I worked with a different gleaning organization before City Fruit. And in my previous position, I was the gleaning coordinator. So I was hands-on. In this position, I'm more of the backseat helping increase sustainable funding for City Fruit. But with gleaning generally... Hopefully, you can know how to identify if there's been pests, but often that doesn't happen. You don't always know exactly what you're looking for. One of the hard parts is not knowing until you find the fruit that has a hole in it and you realize there's Mm -hmm. maggots inside of that, But even though you may have harvested a lot. So in, in Leavenworth, when I was harvesting cherries, we had just finished harvesting for two hours and had so many cherries and then found the holes oh, in no. the cherries of signs of the, oh. the maggots. And so then sifting through all of the cherries, separating ones with the holes and the ones without the holes. If we had known earlier that those trees had experienced maggots, then we would have known like, okay, where are the holes? But we didn't know at the time. So ideally, you gotcha. know before the harvest what mm-hmm. to look for. Sometimes right. that happens though. But before you start gleaning, you know, because there's different ways to harvest the fruit and making sure you're not pulling down on apples or pulling down on cherries, but twisting and just different ways to harvest so that the fruit does Mm -hmm. grow in well the next year as well. So those are important pieces of gleaning, but it's very fun and extremely satisfying (laughs) to harvest hundreds and hundreds of pounds of fruit in just a couple hours. Accomplishment. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I would echo a lot of what Jordan said. As someone who came in to City Fruit through my graduate practicum, I had a lot of growing to do and a lot of learning to do. But I think what's really <laughs> wonderful about cleaning organizations and the network that exists for this kind of work is that there are so many people who are extremely passionate about this work and are extremely passionate teachers. And so what I found is that when you are working in an orchard space, especially if you have a chance to work directly with an orchardist that takes care of those trees or has knowledge of that, It's incredible the wealth of information they can share with you. They can be like, oh, that tree that's this variety, it'll be ready in June or it'll be ready in Mm -hmm. like August 20th. My little baby (laughs) that I've nurtured. Yeah. And so it's really wonderful getting to learn from people directly like that. And even if you're like, oh, is this apple ready? And they're like, not quite. (laughs) You know, you kind of build that knowledge as you go. 
And I guess like just one last thing too is that in my line of work as like the community growth impact manager, because I work so closely with volunteers, you also just get to hear a lot of stories from volunteers themselves about why they're out there that day volunteering with you, why they're interested in gleaning or food justice efforts. And so there's just so much that you learn about where people are coming from, their stories. And so that's also really wonderful in itself. How do people get involved in City Fruit or other gleaning groups in their community? There are many, many gleaning groups throughout the country, and there's a really great interactive map of all the gleaning Ooh, a map. I love a map. in the country. <laughs> yes. At nationalgleaningproject.org. So then you can see state by state where they all are. And so that's a great way to see what gleaning organizations are near you and then look into their harvest volunteer events. And people can volunteer at our harvest and tree care events, which take place in our public orchard starting in July. And then we're expanding our volunteer opportunities as well to include peer-to-peer fundraising, opportunities for tabling at farmer's markets. And then, like Tiara was saying, about neighborhood ambassadors helping to lead harvesting in local neighborhoods throughout Seattle. Thanks for that website. That will be incredibly yeah, handy for... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People that obviously there are gleaning programs in a lot of communities. And so mm-hmm. we're just highlighting one, but we want to give people that aren't in Seattle the opportunity yes. to plug in as well. So that's great. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you guys would like to add or that we haven't discussed so far yet? One other thing. This is still something new and something that City Fruit's growing into, but we're really excited to be bringing in more community trees into spaces. And so we actually just, I say finished, but it's really still in process. But we've been mm-hmm. working with the neighborhood at High Point, West Seattle, to plant an orchard there. So the saplings are in the ground now, but it's going to be a continual partnership because as those trees grow, we really like to find opportunities for community themselves in that space to have ownership over those trees and to develop the stewardship skills for taking care of those trees themselves. So again, something that City Fruit's growing into, it was the first orchard that we've planted, but we are hoping that this can become more of a repeat program for us, that we can continue to collaborate with communities to bring those fruit trees into into these neighborhoods. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing a little bit more about gleaning and City Fruit in Seattle. Thank you. Thank you for having us. (laughs) Thank you. Thierry and Jordan reached out and wanted us to update you. During the 2021 harvest season, City Fruit harvested approximately 37,000 pounds of fruit. But they did increase their Fruit for All free fruit pop-up stands to 19 instead of 16 due to increased demand. So there you have it. The end of episode three in season two. We hope that you gleaned some really sweet information and that we have inspired you yet again to make it out alive. This episode, we did glean knowledge from Tiare and Jordan with City Fruit in Seattle, who make use of that fruit that would otherwise fall to the ground and rot or go to waste. Gleaning programs like theirs harvest local, fresh, healthy food for the benefit of the community so they will live happily ever after. There are gleaning programs all over, so look for one in your area to volunteer with or provide extra fruit from your trees or extra veggies from your gardens. I also saw an app for that. I think it was called like Fresh Food Connect. We'll put a link in our show notes. Basically, it looks like the app allows gardeners to share their excess bounty with hunger relief organizations. 
And if there's not a gleaning program in your area, you might consider starting one. Cool. So through our conversation with Tiari and Jordan, we learned that orchards can tell us about the geography of settlement across the area. Super cool. cool. Yeah. <laughs> but more importantly, we learned some great insights about gleaning and how it ties into our overall topic for this season. In Seattle, this program alone saves about 45 to 50,000 pounds of fruit from going to waste each year. It is hyper-local, so uses fewer resources for packaging, transport, advertising, and other environmentally harmful aspects of the traditional commercial food system. Fruit is typically distributed within five miles of where it is harvested and is distributed in federally recognized food deserts, and food that would otherwise go to waste is now making it to people experiencing food insecurity. We also heard about a study that showed that 11.5 billion pounds of garden produce from backyard gardens is wasted each year, which, if shared within the communities in which it was grown, could feed 28 million people. Wow. Every year. Well, we waste a lot of food in this country. That Sad. we do. Wow. Well, please join us in two weeks for our interview with Holly Prohaska with Urban Farm Collective in Portland, where she will regale us with tales of community gardening and bartering with slugs. Uh, I can't wait to talk about the slug bartering. Yeah. So mm -hmm. exciting. Well, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts, like TuneIn, CastBox, Himalaya, iHeartRadio, etc., wherever you're listening now. Please let us know what you think at outalivepodcast.com or at facebook.com slash willwemakeitoutalive. Also, if you have story ideas, please feel free to share them on our Facebook or website. And if you heard anything in this episode that doesn't mesh with science and facts, please let us know and we will make a correction in a future episode because we care about facts and we don't want to spread misinformation. And that's how science do. Exactly. Until next time. Will, will we, make we make it, it out, out alive? alive? This is Amy, the poop detective. Dropping out. <laughs> <laughs> and goodbye from me, Jen, the magical mapper. <laughs>